This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. I was looking for so much external validation of like, you're doing a good job. But the big piece that was missing was that I actually didn't need external validation. What I was craving was internal validation was that all I had to do was be able to look in the mirror and feel happy and feel fulfilled and to feel like good with the person that I was and the path that I was walking, even if that looked different from what, you know, we're conditioned to think is quote, the right the right path. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I am your host, Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show, completely aligned with our mission, is Mindful in Minutes with Kelly Smith. Kelly is the founder of Yoga for You, a location-independent yoga and meditation school to serve students and teachers all over the globe, and she is the host of the Mindful in Minutes podcast. Kelly is a yoga and meditation teacher who believes that there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach to yoga and meditation, and your practice should be as unique as you are. Over the past seven years, she's dedicated herself to the practice and her students, taught over 5,000 hours, led trainings and retreats all over the world, and began sharing her personal guided meditations on her podcast. She loves to lift people up through their tough times and help them find their true north by focusing on the less physical yoga practices like meditation, yoga nidra, restorative yoga, and mindful flows, which we're going to learn a lot about today. Kelly, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat and connect and just have a good chat. Me too. I, um, I, I was listening to your podcasts and your guided meditations and also your origin story, which I really um, respect how you just put yourself out there and in such a, just such a very transparent, authentic way, just like this was my story to getting here. Cause I, cause your, your fans and students are curious, right? Like how did this all happen? Oh my gosh. Well, I, I think I'm going to start calling it my origin story. Cause that kind of makes me sound like this, like superhero. <laughs> it sounds so much more grand than, you know, blindly following this thing and stumbling through it one step at a time. Mm-hmm. But really I started 
primarily as a yoga teacher. And it's always been my philosophy that it's my job as a teacher to meet my students where they're at and that I cannot teach anything that I personally don't understand and haven't experienced myself. So as a yoga teacher, I felt this need for my students to um, learn more about meditation. So I started just learning about meditation. I did some different immersive experiences, started reading all of the books, you know, taking the deep dives into all of these different things, and then taking the relevant bits and putting them together and sharing that with my with my students. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back when I had a yoga studio, and then I had to sell that studio and we moved for my husband's job. And that's when I started Mindful in Minutes five years ago, was to um, be able to keep sharing the practice of meditation, since it's mostly an audio form, in a way that was free and easily accessible. Um, But it was a lot of just, you know, if I want to serve my students as best I can, I need to increase my knowledge and my understanding. And through that process, I really fell in love with these kind of less physical sides of yoga and the power of meditation and introspection and like what I call true self work. Hmm. Which I want to talk all about that. Uh, so our, <laughs> myself and our listeners can um, learn how to find that for ourselves. And first I want to go back because we all have different impactful experiences, which at the time don't seem to be sending us in a certain direction, but in hindsight do. And you, it seems from what I've learned that you found, you started to dip your toes in this around eight, 16 with a very significant experience in your life. Yeah. When I was 16, my mom was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer, which that story has a happy ending because she's still with mm-hmm. us and she, you know, is Grammy and comes and helps me with childcare and all of those wonderful, you know, grandma type things. But at that time, I had been practicing yoga solely for the physical. I was an athlete. I was there for like the quote, good stretch. I was a Shavasana skipper. Um, I felt like, oh, what a waste to just like lay here, Um, which is my 16-year-old self now knew that I basically teach yoga nidra, which is like can be up to a 75-minute Shavasana. Like Mm, her mind would be blown. But during that journey, I not only saw the power like – of the mind body connection, because I saw my mom doing, you know, whether you call it visualization or even prayer, um, these types of things where you're using your mental power to focus on one thing and seeing a profound effect, both mentally, physically, and emotionally. My eyes are really open to that. And I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of the things that, that I was doing at that time as her primary caregiver to sort of keep myself afloat, um, was kind of, you know, very simple meditation techniques, like checking in, like, how, how am I feeling right now? Like, what's actually happening beneath the surface? Because, you know, anyone who's listening, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners at some point have been a caregiver. Mm-hmm. It's a really challenging, draining, isolating thing to do. And having kind of these tools, I guess, in my toolbox or having this awareness of being able to care for myself 
in a way. And I'm not saying it was all like, you know, rainbows and sunshines. There's definitely a lot of mess within that. Mm -hmm. But the things that were kind of these little life rafts that I used during such a challenging time in my life. Now, in hindsight, I recognize as being a lot of meditation techniques, a lot of mindfulness techniques, a lot of introspection techniques that really helped me through such dark days when I very much felt like I was walking that path and navigating that time very alone. Mm -hmm. And I also really resonated with in, in your podcast that I listened to, um, about your origin story, superhero origin story is that, um, the checking all the boxes that really resonated with me, right? Going to college, checking all the boxes, after college, getting the job, because that's what you're supposed to do. And, and I think that resonates with most people about how we are all socialized to check off these boxes. I mean, maybe there is a slight change in the newer generations. And I mean, there's just so many different options as each generation moves on with technology and the different types of ways that people can have a lifestyle, make a living. That being said, there's still so much ingrained messaging that comes at us for so many years that we think that checking off the boxes is going the right thing to do and going to fulfill us. But for so many of us, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. And this was where for me, like that true self work became so apparent and like connecting to who I, who I actually was and what I needed. Cause I felt this immense amount of pressure, just like you said, to do what I quote, you know, doing the air quotes, what I was supposed to do, mm-hmm. which was like this very linear path of, you know, I, I went to this, you know, high school that was, you know, perceived as being, you know, perceived like a college prep high school. And then I was supposed to go to a certain caliber of college and then, and get a degree and then maybe like meet a man, which I did do this part that you end up marrying from that college and then getting, you know, a job in that field that you just got a piece of paper that says I'm ready to be in this field. And I felt this immense pressure. And what I recognized in hindsight was that I was looking for so much external validation of like, you're doing a good job, like a quote, good job. But the big piece that was missing was that I actually didn't need external validation. What I was craving was internal validation was that all I had to do was be able to look in the mirror and feel happy and feel fulfilled and to feel like good with the person that I was and the path that I was walking even if that looked different from what, you know, we're conditioned to think is mm-hmm. quote the right the right path. And I very much believe it wasn't until I kind of went rogue <laughs> and told everyone that I wanted to leave my quote real job in business and um, you know, start and become a yoga teacher and this was also 10 years ago before it was kind of like cool to be in the Mm -hmm. yoga wellness. Like everyone was just like, Oh my gosh, what a waste of a degree. Um, get a real job, you know, all of these things. And it was at that time that I was, that I recognized like, you know what? I have been checking all of these boxes. It is so unfulfilling to me. I'm doing it for everyone else. I'm going to do something for me now and pursuing something that felt really purposeful and really nourishing to my soul was the catalyst of then being like, but what do I want? What do I, what is my purpose? And I firmly believe that no one else can tell you that except for yourself. And this sparked kind of this true self 
Mm-hmm. journey because I think sometimes the older we get, I, you know, I, I think about this with my son who's two, you know, he's such a little authentic being right now. I mean, he's nuts, but he's, you know, <laughs> very authentic as a yeah. two-year-old boy, but there will be a time in which he will start learning more about the world. He'll be, you know, shaped, he'll be molded. And my hope for him is that he can stay connected to that true mm. self, to that soul space, to that spark even when the world kind of gets their hands on him, yeah. that he can continue yeah. to have that that anchor. But we often get so disconnected from that space as we age that then right. all of a sudden we're like, who am I? What am I doing? What's the point? And it's just confusion. Well, and I, for you to have this awareness because of what you do and your journey and to be thinking about this for your son, I mean, that's huge for him. I could just say, you know, as someone who has always been more on the aware side and always working on it, just with my way my mind works and what I do for a living. Even then, when I look back, when our kids were young, I mean, I was still grinding to check off the boxes in my career and my role as dad and uh, provider. And there's still so many boxes. And it's so easy to, with, with all of that stuff, to lose sight or to 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 not be focused on how you truly feel while you're just taking one step in front of another, another and doing what you were raised to do and socialized to do. And so all that is to say, as you are thinking about this with your son, how do you imagine you'll continue to try to cultivate his knowing about a true self, like who he is as he it steps out to the world away from you with other socialization experiences. So my hope is, and I also the little caveat here is I firmly believe we all mess up our children to some degree. We just have to yeah. try our best and love them. So I say this with a little caveat of like, that's good though. That's good. Uh, you know, we yeah. all, we just have to do the best we can. Mm-hmm. My hope with that is I hope to one lead by example. I think we learn so much as we're growing up, from the things that our parents say, whether it be outwardly or through their actions, like those are our models that we have in those really young formative years. So my hope is, is that he can see what I'm doing and that will serve as a um, reminder that it's okay to walk your own path and to be who you are. And the second thing that I'm trying to do and that I hope to continue to do is to talk about this stuff around him and to give him the tools that like, I wish I had mm-hmm. when I was young. Like I didn't know like the true self. I didn't there was no one talking What's about that? maybe like right. yeah. yeah, like some weird like crunchy granola moms, you know, back yeah. in the nineties talking about <laughs> these things and giving him the language around what this is, talking about, you know, how it feels to, mm-hmm. you know, maybe society tells you one thing, but like your heart is telling you something different mm-hmm. and to just keep an open dialogue around that and to discuss it and then try to lead by example. Mm-hmm. That's my hope. Yeah. But we'll like see. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, um, I mean, ultimately it is about, I mean, the, the research and clinical practice show that the most important thing that parents can do is be as healthy people as they can and model a way of living that they want their children to live. Right. Yeah, and it's just and like, it yeah. sounds so simple, but it's, um, in some respects it's, it's a lot, it can be easier than trying to control your child 
<laughs> which is, you know, is uh, at different times in life, depending on the temperament of our kids, is like a, it just doesn't work so well. But to vi- turn it on us and to be really try to be mindful and purposeful about how we are living our lives, what we're showing our kids, what we are saying in front of them, you know, how we're acting, it all gets absorbed. And also to your point for everyone listening, we all make mistakes. We all we all cause different sorts of rifts and scars, you know, in our kids, just like we all have. So we can only do our best. Yeah, that's it. And, and I think for me, that mindset, I also want to instill, like when I'm being a parent too, is like, I can only do my best. And I only expect them to also show up as their very human, innately flawed, trying my best selves and that we can kind of navigate that Mm -hmm, together. mm -hmm. And I like what you're saying about at an early age, talking to him about um, your heart. What does your heart say? You know, I like also um, what, you know, the old school, what, like, what does your gut say? I just love that old thing, like the gut. And we now know that our gut is our other brain. Right. But, but when that's saying, who knows who came up with that saying, I don't know if that, person knew that but it really is what does your gut say the second brain we have and also what i like to talk about with um especially as our kids have gotten older is the power of their intuition i mean we come we have a lot of intuitive people in our family and i know from growing up having always been intuitive it was never anything that people really talked about as a legitimate thing to hone in on and to really Uh, when making big decisions to really hone in on what your intuition is or to trust your intuition over some other objective things that are, that are coming at you. And I think that I also, I think is just an evolution as, um, as we continue to evolve as humans and hopefully open ourselves up to all of the senses and all of these, 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 in a sense, powers that we have to interact with ourselves and others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, to me too, giving and, you know, I, I grew up, you know, I've already said I grew up in the 90s, but I I think for me in particular, having like a young boy, I want to make sure that he is given the space to talk about things like intuition, feelings. I think we're getting better mm-hmm. at this, but I, you know, I, I know that this is something and I see this in a lot of my clients too. Like when I work one-on-one with people and I have um, men that come to me and they're like now in their, you know, thirties, forties, fifties, finally trying to find the words to connect with the things that they're feeling. Mm -hmm. And it's, and they, and they very much feel like they just never were given that language or they were never given the space to explore these things. And Mm -hmm. that's something too, that I want to make sure that he knows that it's okay to talk about that stuff. And that, you know, the feelings that you have, the way that you're feeling, your gut, your intuition, like those are such important, powerful tools. Like let's celebrate that instead of trying mm-hmm. to like smush it down and ignore it. Totally. And we know that boys are, boys um, are more at risk for the repressions from our cultural yeah. perspective than women, but this, and girls, but this applies to everyone. Um, and it, what you're talking about is emotional literacy as they say, and how important when people say, well, how do I build resilience in my kids? And how do I build emotional resilience? And 
it's really talking about feelings. It's literally, how do you feel? Oh, I was feeling angry right now and I wanted to do this, so I took a time out. And, and it's okay to have all these feelings. Humans have all these feelings. And really just talking about feelings with your child and out loud is huge. And I, and I want to piggyback on that. And one thing that I love about your show in particular is, you know, we're taking the science and the feelings and all of those things and bringing them together. But I also think for me, like a big piece of that is just like letting them struggle and also letting them see your struggle and how like things can be hard and that's okay. Like things can be unpleasant. Things can be uncomfortable. Again, I have a two-year-old, so we're talking a lot about, oh, that feels really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, you know, you, you know, are you feeling really disappointed that you're not able to, you know, right now it's screen time, right? Oh, are, are we feeling really disappointed and sad that screen time's over? Like that it's okay for things to be unpleasant, uncomfortable, challenging, a struggle in a little two-year-old body and also, you know, for me in a 32-year-old body of like, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, mom's just really feeling this right now. Um, And that's something that, you know, I I think it's okay for us to take the walls down a little bit and Mm -hmm. to let ourselves be vulnerable and for others to see that like sometimes things are hard and they're not great. And like, that's also a part of the human experience too. Couldn't comp- agree more with that, Kelly. Um, and I think for those of us who are more wired towards perfectionism, fear of failure, you know, we think with good intention, we need to show our kids the proper way to live. And the proper way to live is to be a successful, whatever that means, person and kind of show them how to do everything right. And again, often this comes with good intention. To your point, We need struggling to be okay. We need to be okay struggling in front of our kids, of course, trying to be mindful of our situation and our mindset and their age, of course, and to let them know that they can be sad, they can be angry, they can be confused, they could have a bad day, and it's all part of life as opposed to something that is wrong or bad. And that's where all that stuffing starts to happen over time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's hard to not want to be, I think about this from the parent perspective, to not want to be quote perfect for our kids. But like, what does that mean? And, and for me, one of the best tools that I have in terms of like meditation for me personally is being able to turn inward, but to also, I call it like taking inventory, right? So taking inventory of like, how am I feeling? How am I actually doing? Like, what thoughts am I having? And just kind of taking inventory of like, what's going on beneath the surface. And it's not always great. It's not even always good or mediocre. Like it's unpleasant. It's a little messy sometimes. And, and I think it's, the tendency is to try to not let your kids see any of the cracks, but that's just not how life is. And, you know, I, I think perfectionism is something that to a degree we all, you know, want to, you know, what would life be like if you just moved through it, like truly perfect? Like, what would that right. be like? Right. But, but also, you know, do we expect our loved ones to be perfect all the time? No. Do we expect our children to be perfect all the time? No. So why do we have this different standard like for ourselves 
And what are we modeling for our children? And so for me, mm-hmm. using meditation, even as a sh- short check-in every day of like, how am I? And, and this has really been important since I became a parent because things, you know, it's especially a mom. Someone described it to me the other day as like, mom is like the power strip that everyone plugs their chargers into. <laughs> That's so and, true. <laughs> and that like resonated with me. So yeah. I was like, you know, the mental load, the <laughs> juggling all these different things. Like I've never needed those few minutes to just be like, all right, hit the pause button. What am I doing? How am I feeling? What's going on? is so important. And like some days I'm like, it, it's, it's not looking good. It's not great. And that's, that's okay. And once we have the awareness of it, we can do something about it. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I love this. I love this. So you're going right where I wanted to go, which is. Oh, perfect. It, yeah. It's like, this is <laughs> meant to be. So, um, you pre-parent using your tools. And you post-parent, like how has, has, has anything changed with, you know, how you think about your practice and how you think about yoga and meditation for managing stress and anxiety? Or is it, is it the same with just another phase of life? It's different and the same. So both it's, I think about my meditation practice as a collection of tools that I'm, that I have in a toolbox. So then when I sit down to actually meditate or to do this practice at different times, I need different tools from that toolbox. I'm always pulling from the same toolbox, but like, for example, um, I really struggled in the first few months postpartum with postpartum anxiety. Mm -hmm. Specifically, I had this fear and, and, you know, the irony of a meditation teacher struggling with anxiety is not lost on me, but it was a very real experience. I struggled so much in the first few months of my son's life uh, with sleeping, like I didn't want to sleep when he was sleeping because what if something happened and mm-hmm. I slept through it? Mm-hmm. I know it's a very common fear and it yeah. really felt so all encompassing in that moment. And so the tools that I pulled out of my toolbox for that was very different than pre-parent. I just had different, whether you want to call them goals or needs or objectives, it was a lot of like, decision-making. It was a lot of even, am I ready to become a parent? Does this feel like the right step for me or career-wise, where do I want to go? Or, you know, what feels fulfilling to me as opposed to then the stark contrast of like, I need to take care of myself. I need to find a way to quiet the noise enough so I can sleep. Those are different tools that I'm pulling from my toolbox. So it's the same and different because it's Mm -hmm. the same stuff that I've acquired, but I utilize it in a very different way because my needs have changed mm-hmm. since becoming a parent as opposed to what I needed before I was a parent. That makes sense. And uh, the power strip um, <laughs> metaphor for everyone, for you two, all you moms, parents out there who feel like that, now you have a good visual to describe to others when you feel Everyone is plugging into you. Everyone is sucking your energy and you just need someone to turn the switch off for a moment. And that's, and right. And when I heard that, I was like, you just like the light, but I was like, that's it. That's Mm -hmm. the other analogy I've heard is that being a mom is like, you're a pizza. There is a finite amount of slices Mm. at different points. Different people will need more pizza to eat but you have to eat first and then you divvy up the rest. Hmm. 
And that Man, really yeah, yeah. stuck with me. That finite piece is that right. I think I can only speak as my experience as a mother. So you tell me if, you know, the experience mm-hmm. as a father is different, but someone always needs something and it can feel like the perception is what a mother or a parent can give is infinite, but we right. have to recognize it is finite. Right. Well, as an involved father, I can say that I relate to that, and and yet I still will always tip my um, invisible hat here to to mothers and seeing what um, my wife with with our kids and so many my mom and so many other mothers that I've worked with and know it's like. I don't want to minimize the role of fatherhood, but there is just something about motherhood where it does seem that there is supposed to be a, it's a pitcher that never is supposed to run out of water. (laughs) It's never supposed to crack. It's always supposed to just be there whenever anyone needs something. Um, And that is exhausting. Um, It's, it's of course rewarding. At times, it's exhausting at times. It's overwhelming at times. I think it's impossible at times. And all of this just goes back to why self-care is so needed. And what you do with your students and what you put out to the world for everyone listening is like, it, it, you can be mindful in minutes. You really can be mindful in minutes. And um, I have a, this a quick, my experience with mindfulness and then to transition to, I want to learn about, um, yoga and particularly the yoga nidra, which you have put out or putting out for everyone. I remember for years I wanted to do mindful. I wanted to do practice meditation, but it was like, I have three young kids. I have a job, a, I'm building a business. I have no time. My idea was you had to have all this time to sit down for 30 minutes or an hour. Of course, when I realized, no, you don't, and you can do it in many different ways. I've enjoyed um, a practice for some time now. The same thing, though, is for me for yoga. I have other yoga family people in my family do yoga. I've done it a few times, and it seems this big, like, I need to invest in this if I'm going to really do it and have this time, part, partly part of my personality. But you have a way that I don't have to do that. We don't have to do that, right? We can just step into it. It's so much. It's I always say, like, it's not as serious and it's really not as big as, of a deal as we make it into our head. And studies tell us, because I know we love studies here on the show, yes. studies tell us that 8 to 12 minutes a day is enough to get the mental, physical, and emotional mm. benefits of meditation. So I usually just hit the middle. I say 10 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And to touch on that, i that's probably the most common thing that I hear is, you know, I don't like... I don't have time to meditate. I don't have an extra 30 minutes a day. I don't have an extra 60 minutes a day. And I always tell them like, I don't either. And this is literally my job. I run a meditation school. Like you have to, like if we know 10 minutes a day is enough, let it be this small little micro habit that helps to fill you up and kind of take the expectations out of it Mm -hmm. and let it be this small thing that's beneficial. And if you really genuinely feel like you don't have the time, this is like my number one, I don't know, call it hack, do 10 less minutes of something that is not serving you. I'll, you know, for me, that's scrolling on social media at night. I, I get sucked in that trap too, where I'm just scrolling that before I know it, I'm like, Oh my gosh, it's been like 45 minutes. Just do 10 less minutes of something that you're already doing that is not serving you. You don't have to cut it out. Just 10 less minutes of it. Do a little swap. 
and you will easily find your 10 minutes to do something that has this huge benefit, just taking away from the things that we already do. We all do so much of it. You know, these little things that it's like, "Mm, is this really serving me in any positive way? Yes. Not really. And that's my greatest hack for where do you find the time? Love it. It's always social media scrolling. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's on a screen for most people, whether it's a, a show, right. Or streaming yeah. something or yeah. So that's a great call. Now yoga, right? Yes. So this whole how much time does one have to have for yoga and doesn't one have to be super flexible and these huge tall goals, but I'm sensing not from what you do with you tell. So tell us about yoga Nidra. Yes. So yoga Nidra, it translates into yogic sleep and the idea behind it. And there's only you're in Shavasana the entire time. And the idea behind it is that we are not to get too like thick in the weeds of it, but we're taking this conscious journey through this thing called the koshas Kosha just means layer or sheath. And think about it, you know, you can think about it as like an onion. I think about it as like those little Russian nesting dolls where you have like one layer, we're going to open it up, and then there's another thing in there. You're going to open that one up, and then there's another one. So Yoga Nidra is designed to be a conscious journey through these different layers. And ultimately, we're going to bring ourselves face to face with the true self, which is the center of the onion or the original doll or whatever it is. We're going to plant a positive seed of intention. We call it Sankalpa in this practice. And we only do that through different techniques. It feels like a long guided meditation. And the facilitator is going to take, it usually takes between 45 and 75 minutes. But all you're doing is you're laying there, you're listening to the guide, and we're doing different techniques, body, breath, emotions, visualization. It's all designed to travel through these different layers and bring yourself face to face with the true self where we can do that deep connection and plant a positive seed of intention. And then on the flip side, you get the benefit of basically putting the body to sleep. So you get really kind of like soothing the senses, quieting the nervous system, getting the regeneration our physical body needs. So we can do some of that deeper non-physical work within. Hmm. So that's fascinating to me. I haven't heard about this. Um, You've never done it? Never heard no, of it? No. And so I'm thinking, because I always think of, I mean, the yoga that I have done, again, only a few times, and I've seen, it's, it, it, all, it feels so physical. And as you describe this technique, it sounds very, it sounds more like I, what I've always thought of as meditation versus yoga. So it's like, it's, is yoga and meditation on a continuum? Yeah. So they fall under the same umbrella. Are you familiar with Patanjali? He's like the grandfather of yoga. Okay. So good old Patanjali. We love him. Um, Many of the yoga lineages come from Patanjali and his work. And he outlines what's called the eight limbed path of yoga. So there's these eight different components make up the practice of yoga. One of those limbs is asana, which are the poses. There's also Mm. meditation, there's breath work, there's the way we interact with ourselves, the way we interact with others, there's concentration, there's, you know, focus, there's kind of union of the self with, you know, insert whatever you believe in, the higher self will say. And all of these different components are different, but equal under the yoga umbrella. So technically, if you if you want to practice yoga, you need to be working on 
all of these eight different limbs. So one of those limbs is called withdrawal of the senses or turning inward, pratyahara. Yoga Nidra takes elements of, you know, asana, we're doing shavasana with the body. And then also pratyahara, it's a deep withdrawal of the senses or turning inward to connect with something deeper. So it is equal, but different to, you know, you think about your very bendy, flashy, um, Instagrammable right. poses. And it, even with breath work, right, we see, you know, we're getting into an ice bath and we're doing these, you know, big breath work techniques. Like yoga nidra isn't very like Instagrammable. It's not very flashy. So I don't think we see a lot of it because yeah, just we're taking so a used nap. to con- yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, we're, yeah, yeah. we're used to seeing yoga mm. with what we can see with our eyes as opposed to experiencing this conscious journey turning you inward. So if you think about, we have this umbrella of yoga, but then there's these eight things that fall underneath it. We usually only focus on like one or two. And this is one of the more kind of forgotten or not talked about limbs of pratyahara, draw the senses, and then meditation is its own limb under the yoga umbrella. So technically, if you're practicing yoga, we should be doing all of these things. Wonderful. Thank you for that explanation. You mentioned um, Vavasana. Okay. Shavasana, yeah. Shavasana a yeah. few times. <laughs> for our listeners, it's even hard to say. What? How? Just please describe what that is for the, our newcomers. That That is the last pose that you're probably doing at the end of a class where you're just laying, well, it looks like you're just laying there. Mm-hmm. Shavasana means corpse pose. And one, because, you know, it, you're kind of laying there with your eyes closed. So there is an element of like, you know, a corpse. But metaphorically speaking, it's this idea of like having a death and a rebirth. So you're laying there, you're reintegrating, do a little bit of deeper work. So then when you come out of your practice and end it, you've been like reborn in a way. Because if you think about it, each moment is an opportunity for a rebirth, if we choose. And so symbolically, it's this idea of kind of after our practice, we're dying and then being, you know, reborn or walking, you know, off the mat, a different person than stepped on it. Mm-hmm. But it's the thing you do at the end where you lay there. Right. <laughs> right. You lay there, which is also not so Instagrammable. Um, uh, no. <laughs> okay. So 10 minutes, you recommend 10 minutes-ish a day for mindfulness. And then what do you recommend for this type of yoga practice? If someone's you know building their toolkit, building their self-care plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, so two different recommendations, and it depends on what your goal is with yoga nidra you're going to need more time so this is going to be more of like a once a week type of thing or once every other week because it's a bigger time commitment we're talking anywhere from 30 to 75 minutes it just depends on which practice you choose how long it is how involved it is but there's two main objectives for yoga nidra one of them is to help with insomnia. So there's actually some really interesting studies on how the brain waves when you're practicing yoga nidra mimic the different sleep cycles. And so it actually has been shown to really improve insomnia. So if you're using yoga nidra as a way to improve your sleep, I recommend putting on a yoga nidra recording at night, listen to it, let it help you go to sleep and stay asleep and hopefully over time improve your insomnia. So that's one kind of big benefit that we get. On the flip side of that, another big benefit of yoga nidra 
is where you aren't necessarily using it for sleep. We're trying to kind of put the body to sleep, but keeping our consciousness awake so we can do some of this deeper work. Um, the VA here does a lot of work with yoga nidra. They call it eye rest, which in my personal opinion, other may not. I think that's um, rebranded yoga nidra in a more palatable way. That's my personal opinion. Mm-hmm. And they do a lot of work with that, with PTSD, with the idea that if we can quiet the physical body and like the actual physiological symptoms associated with that trauma, that there may be a deeper exploration of what's happening beneath the surface, but the physical body has to be asleep first. So there is this piece of using yoga nidra for deeper exploration and deeper connection of the self. That's kind of more of a once a week, maybe once every other week, Mm -hmm. because you're going to take this journey, you're going to do this connection and then leave a little bit of time to kind of integrate. Like some, I've had many different students have, you know, many different experiences. Anytime you start digging beneath the surface, you never quite know what you're going to get. It's a little bit of a surprise. Mm -hmm. And so you may have some profound experiences where you feel like you spoke to your true self, or you felt like you connected with something deeper, or you feel like you've touched on a piece of your purpose. That's something that comes up a lot for people, their purpose. Sit with that for a little bit, Mm -hmm. like give it a week. Like, what is that? That's a big thing. If your soul is telling you that your purpose is this, like feel free to just kind of sit and contemplate, let that integrate, let the dust settle for a while. So those are my two recommendations based on we're trying to connect to the true self versus we're trying to improve upon our sleep. Both are very important. Mm -hmm. You need sleep to live and to function and to be a human being in this world. Mm -hmm. And also we need to be able to connect with something deeper and have Mm -hmm. that through line of communication from the self that we show up, you know, in this world every day and the self that's within. Um, so different recommendations nice. based on what your goal is. And so if people are doing it before bed, I've mm-hmm. always heard the question of, so if I doing a meditation or yoga nidra and I fall asleep, is it still working on my unconscious? Right. Do, so are you, I think I heard you, if you have a 75-minute one, you do it at bed, and maybe 20 minutes into it, you fall asleep. That's still part of this practice? That is still part of the practice. Now, you'll hear different things from different people because we can't, like, how do you go in and measure, like, someone's, like, subconscious and effectiveness on that? It's my personal belief that you're going to get what you need out of that practice, but that might look different for different people. But in theory, what my teachers taught me is that you are, even if the physical body is going to sleep, you are still gaining the information um, subconsciously, even though your physical body is sleeping, that your mind may still be absorbing that information. But, you know, full disclosure, different people believe different things right. on that. Right. But I also think there's so much value in sleeping. Because another thing that comes up for me all the time when I do group yoga nidra is what if I fall asleep during the practice and snore? People won't do it because they don't want to fall asleep in public. And it happens every time. There's always a handful of snores. It happens. And people are like, what's that about? Like, why do I just fall asleep? Our bodies will always prioritize what they need to survive, like sleep, before they're going to prioritize, you know, a conscious journey to the true self. Mm -hmm. Like, Mm -hmm. we need sleep to survive. And so I think that should always be addressed first, like taking care of those basic needs. 
Mm-hmm. So others will disagree with me on this one, but I think that if we are working on sleep and taking care of our basic needs, yoga nidra is such a powerful tool to do that. And it's okay to use that as that tool to kind of address that larger issue. Hmm. Wonderful. And I'm also uh, remembering your journey to where you are now um, is when you discovered your purpose and you listened to it and you left your day job in business and said, I'm going to go do this, right? Back in the day when someone was like, yeah, I'm going to just go be an artist or I'm going to go be a musician where, you know, un- the un- unfortunate response of people are like, what? What are you doing? Yeah. How are you going to make a living? Um, yeah, good luck. People have a purpose. Yeah, good luck with have that. Have fun failing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So supportive. So supportive. Um, but you did, you did find your you got in touch with your purpose and you t- as a result took some courageous steps to follow well i appreciate that and and to me really i mean i it's not pleasant or easy like one of the, i think one of the hardest things that you can do in this world is to connect with that purpose and to have it be something that society doesn't necessarily value But to me, once I unlocked that piece, once I realized everything I'd done up until that point was for external validation, and all I really needed was the internal validation, like from myself, that was such a big shift for me. And I still, to this day, I come back to it, even with parenting, where I think, you know, is is this actually a concern for me and my child? Or is it a lot of, because there's a lot of noise in parenting, you know, or is it just kind of this external validation or the noise that I hear from other people being able to, tur- to turn inward and to connect with that space and to be like, at the end of the day, I am the only one that has to feel good and okay with the mother that I showed up as today and how I parented. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's going to like it or agree with it, but I'm the only one that has to be the mother to this child. So once I made that shift, you know, 10 years ago in terms of like my purpose and career and all of that, it's made it easier to then continue to recognize when am I leaning into the noise and looking for external validation, which for me never really leads to anything. It just leads to like stress and anxiety versus when am I doing things that are in alignment that I can have that internal validation. Yes. Yes. So important. for. People listening who might be experiencing anxiety, uh, stress, distress, of all, you have so many tools, which we're going to guide people to shortly. Is there one thing for a person to start who's feeling overwhelmed and dysregulated that you would recommend? I would say, and this is so, if this sounds simple, it's because it is simple, but it's powerful. Connect with the breath and slow it down. We know that, you know, slowing down that breath is like the number one immediate antidote to that fight or flight, which is often what we're experiencing. We know anxiety is a physiological response from some kind of a stress or a trigger, right? And the brain says, boom, like, here we go. There's a danger. There's a threat. Let's do something. Just breathing slow and low into the belly in those moments makes a huge shift. Just start there. We need to just get things kind of, you know, we need to take it down from like a 10 down to like a six or seven. Then we can start doing something about it. But 
to me, but, but I'd love to hear if you have a different perspective. Like to me, that is just such a simple, like, especially in the anxious, overwhelm, like overbearing moments. It's like just for a minute, like one minute, stop, pause, do your best, actually breathe instead of these short little, like, you know, mm-hmm. things that we're doing, breathe low and slow into the belly. It, it never makes things worse. Mm, right. It's, it's so true. Um, and what I have always learned in my work with anxiety and the fight and flight response when it comes to deep breathing is um, I was told once by a teacher that breathing deeply, increasing oxygen into our brain actually tricks our mind into feeling calm. Mm. You know, so just a different way of explaining, I think, a uh, similar uh, process. What I think would be great for all of us right now, let's all take one. I was breathing slower as you were talking, and it felt really good. <laughs> so let's all take one big breath together, whether you are driving or at home or shopping or whatever you're doing or running or walking. Let's just take all one big breath together. Here we go. Doesn't that feel so good? It does. It's free. And we can do it at any time. <laughs> and, and and also to your point, what we don't realize as humans, when we are stressed or rushed, we are we often either breathe really quickly or we even stop breathing. You know, we like hold we hold our breath. <laughs> and all of this yeah. increases distress. Um, so yes, so thank you for that uh, that jewel, the breath. Okay. Before you tell us about all of your stuff and where we can find it, it's time for the parent footprint moment question. I'm ready. You are so ready. I see it in your eyes. Okay, here we go. (laughs) Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents, and that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your child's, and or those you love. I, about a year into motherhood, had this realization where I realized our children are our mirrors. And what I mean by that is I became so much more aware of myself by seeing what was reflected in my child. So when my child started talking and repeating things, you know, saying things that one of them is take it easy, take it slow. I never thought I said that a lot in my life until all of a sudden we're walking on a patch of ice and my son's going, take it easy, take it slow. (laughs) Or when he has a reaction to something that I often have a reaction to. And this thing that popped up in my head was that our children are our mirrors. They not only reflect things back to us, but they hold up a mirror and we get a really clear look at the good, the bad, and the ugly. It is a very Mm -hmm. clear, magnifying, bright mirror, well lit, where you can see it all. Mm. And our children hold that mirror up to us and give us such a clear picture of ourselves by reflecting things back to us. And ever since I made that realization, I've seen these little glimmers and it's allowed me to gain a much deeper understanding of myself, both, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and what kind of a person I am, what kind of language I use, what kind of interactions, what kind of reactions I have by watching how my son mirrors back to me. Beautiful. 
Yeah, that right on, right on. And um, they're here to teach us, um, I think, just as much or and sometimes more than we are here to teach them. I think so. And, <laughs> and maybe a, a discussion for a different time. But yes. I, I'm always intrigued by this idea of, do our children choose us? Yes, yes. Which fascinating yeah one of those big reflecting like hotel bathroom mirrors that are super bright and you're like "Ooh, that's a little too close to my pores there yes that's what your children can be for you (laughs) for sure kelly thank you for sharing yourself with us and your lived experience and wisdom oh thank you Please tell everyone where they can find your resources, your classes, your retreats, so they can continue to take whatever steps they're they are ready for on their journey. I would love to. Thank you for giving me the space to do that. Um, I would love anyone that's listening, you're welcome to come over and listen to Mindful in Minutes. I always think that's such a great place. All are welcome. Show up as you are. There's so many just practices there. Find the one, the topic that's resonating resonating with you, hit play and just, just start somewhere. I think that's such a great first step. Um, of course I have a website, it's yoga You can find, you know, you can find the stuff there. Um, and then I also, I don't even know if I've shared this with you yet. I have a book coming out. No, uh, it's called mindful and it's called mindful in minutes, a meditation guide for a modern family. So it is a lot of what we're talking about where I take my experiences from motherhood and we look at a lot of the most common, um, I guess, topics that come up for families. So anxiety, insomnia, fear, courage, true self. Um, We explore that. And then each chapter has three practices, one for little kids, one for adolescents, and one for the caregiver, as well as prenatal meditations for the growing family and partner meditations. Um, And so, and you can pre-order that now anywhere. So when when is this coming out? So it's coming out in September, but you can but you can pre-order it at any yes. point, and it'll show up on your doorstep. That's my I'm calling it my book baby. Nice. Um, so because as you know, writing is a labor of love. <laughs> yes, it is. So, so, but it's a lot of what we talked about, just packaged up. Of you know, if you are family wanting to explore mindfulness and meditation together, this is a really easy way to do that. So. May I invite you back in before your just before your book is out for us to have a follow up conversation and dig deep into your book. Nothing would make me happier, and that awesome. is very generous of you. Anytime awesome. you are willing to, yes, have this gal on, I'll be there. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, that book. Um, it doesn't exist from what I know. Uh, and so what a great contribution to, uh, for us to bring this into our families in everyday life and for you to make it not overwhelming and scary that we have to be master gurus to incorporate these. these I really appreciate that. That's my hope. My hope yeah. yeah, my hope is it just reaches the people and the families that need it and want it. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. I will look forward to, we will all look forward to the next conversation. Congrats on your book. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, putting this stuff out there. Thank you. This was the highlight of my day. So thank you for sharing your time with me. And it's always so nice to connect with other parents and people who love this stuff. Yes.
All right, everyone, you know what to do. You need to send this show, share it with everyone you know and love that will benefit from this information and wisdom. Thank you for being a part of our community. Your five-star reviews, they make a difference. Do your best to be that person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day, what footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.